0: Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. For today's episode, Jim is joined by Jason Hardrath, endurance athlete and elementary school teacher. Jason currently holds more FKTs, otherwise known as fastest known times, than any other athlete in the world with 97. And ultimately aims to be the first athlete in the world with 100 FKTs. He previously competed in cross-country and track at Corbin University, also has competed in marathons and Ironman triathlons. When he is not competing in FKTs, Jason is a physical education specialist for Klamath County School District in Klamath Falls, Oregon. And with that, please enjoy our conversation with Jason Hardrath. All right, so let's pick up right where what you were with what you were talking about. Where are you and what are you doing? And soon after, I'm going to ask why? Really impressive. Awesome. So
1: uh I'm off on my spring break. I'm a school teacher and I'm, uh, sitting in red rocks, Nevada, outside of Vegas, staring up at rainbow mountain. And, uh, well, the reason I'm here is I'm hoping to break the record for the, uh, round trip, round trip time on it.
0: (laughs) Tell me, tell me more about that. You've got a handful of records under your belt, which we definitely have to get into, but, uh, tell me about this specific one.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, they're called, they're what are known as FKTs, which stands for fastest known times. And they're, they're kind of cool. Basically they're able to be anywhere that you basically use a GPS signal and you take a geo stamped, you know, cell phone photos. Cause now our cell phone photos, anytime you take a photo, it knows your exact location and the exact time it was taken. So they right. can be used as a form of evidence that you actually did what you said you did. Um, so you pair the photos with the GPS evidence. I use a uh, uh, Coros Vertex watch and submit that data, and then they they validate it. And that's basically the simple, uh, a very simplified version of how FKTs work. And, uh, and, and yeah, we, the cool part. Hey, sorry, I'm, who? Would, where would you submit something like that? Fastestknowntime.com. Oh, cool. Yep. So sure. simple. It's it's actually a cool website to go look at if people are looking for like awesome routes in their area. Cause they only yeah. accept, they try to only accept routes that really capture an area um, that are kind of the highlight routes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause anybody on here, who's uh, an active exerciser maybe uses an app like Strava and Strava is great because it has those Strava segments that you can compete with others on, but those can be like between a mailbox and the grocery store, right. right where it's like, is that really something that's that special? It's great for training. It's a great training tool. Uh, FKTs are like a degree above that. There's a level of art to them. It's like a route that really captures an area or a trail that really captures an area. Um, and so in red rocks, the big thing here is, um, scrambling and rock climbing. So the routes here tend to key in and have some form of running the approach up to a scrambling or rock route and then going all the way to the summit as fast and hard as you can. Um, yeah, so it's it's a I unique
0: mean. mixed skill effort. I like it. Okay, so so that's your current endeavor. Um, can you tell us a little bit, like, just give us a little, this is a perfect segue, I think, maybe into your background. So uh, probably the most important thing you do is educate young people. But uh, from an outside perspective, one of the most interesting things is the collection of these uh, FKTs um, so yeah how did you, uh, give give us both sides if you don't mind how'd you find your way into education a little bit of your background and then and then how and why do you continue to push yourself to this sort of elite level in these uh in these fkt trials
1: absolutely um so i was i i guess i'll rewind all the way to being a little kid i was the adhd kid um i was the kid that struggled with impulse control so i was constantly you know destroying relationships. Cause I would do something impulsive and then the person wouldn't forgive me. And like, I sometimes wouldn't forgive myself. Cause I'm like, I knew better. I knew better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, messing up in school, not getting homework done or doing the homework and forgetting it like, like stuff that's easy for most people to keep track of just was like next to impossible for me. Um, and very early on because of that cognition, because of the ADHD cognition, physical movement became essential, like it became married to my life at a very young age because I just could not operate in normal society if I didn't get movement. Right. Um, and so it, it very naturally became a part of my identity through like the middle school years because it was something I could thrive and excel in being like this very movement oriented, very driven mover. Um, and so I could form an identity like, hey, this is something I can be good at. Yeah, I mess up in every other aspect of life. But in the moment when I'm out there playing the sport or running, like, I'm I'm, I'm killing it. And yeah. that felt good. And so it, 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 it was a big part of my life. And I kept pursuing, basically, I kept pursuing, it was very personal to me, I think is something important to take mm-hmm. away as well, where I didn't just do it because it was a chance to hang out with friends. I didn't just do it because I was on a certain team it was like, I was searching out the next big challenge, the next hardest thing I could do the next grand experiment, if you will, can I do this? Can I accomplish that? Can I run this race faster, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And so I kept looking for the next big challenge. All throughout, you know, from middle school to high school, the challenge became, can I make it on the varsity? And then can I make it to the state competition? And then can I make it onto a college team? Um, And all the while, like, the same with like, my knowledge of, knowing I, I had a, a knack for teaching. One of my earliest you know, childhood memories of it is when I was a first grader still myself, there was another first grader who was scared of catching a football, you know, would just cringe and cower whenever someone would throw a ball. So after school one day, my mom was late to pick me up. I'm like, hey, let's play catch. She's like, no, 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 no. It's like, no, I'm going to help you, man. And so yeah. like, just started off with like little tosses, little underhand tosses. And then each of us took a step back. You know, it's like a first grader who takes the time to do that. It's like, Clearly, I had a little bit of a knack and a passion for like lifting others up, and so decided I wanted to go to school to become a teacher. Um, and so these are going hand in hand. And I'm I'm running in college, and then after oh I graduated, gosh. I went to a little little NAIA school, Corbin University in Salem, Oregon. Very cool. Uh, the The goal was to make it on a team that I could run, and so the my only two requirements for the school I went to were. A, it has a solid education program, and B, it has a track and cross-country team that I have a chance of being on.
0: (laughs) Love it. Love it. Um,
1: Because I was never, never the top guy. Like, I mean, I did pretty good for my tiny school in the middle of nowhere. I grew up in Baker City, Oregon. Um, I did all right for my school and at my district level, but I was keenly aware that I was nowhere near an elite athlete. Um, So it's like, okay, like set realistic expectations, but then crush it as hard as I can with those realistic expectations.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to pause you right there. Sorry, because you just make me think of a discussion that I've had this week. First of all, uh, I think you are an incredible athlete, obviously. And, uh, but, but I, I don't know if this was intentional or not, probably not at 18, but, uh, I just heard this conversation. I'm going to look up his name as we're speaking here. It was, it was so interesting because, um, Identifying the appropriate degree of difficulty, I think, is, is such an important part of maximizing your potential. And it's this interesting, I think, bit of psychology where it's like you, you know you hear all the time about like striving to be the best and shoot for the stars and you and you land among the clouds and you know all of this stuff, which is which can be very empowering and is sometimes true, but uh, sometimes we we forget that if you aim too high. And, and, and you don't get any positive feedback on your process, then then people, you know, people give up. They, you know, that's that's a very, that's a that as old as time. So uh, what you just said, I think is, is really encouraging to me. I hope people listen to this. It's not about like, like you probably became the person you are today. You probably became a world record holder, just a legitimate good guy, all of these things, in part because you found yourself a spot where um, it wasn't easy right? But it wasn't also wasn't like a, a constant, um, you know, constantly disgruntling, if that makes sense. Uh, by the way, I, I was just listening to um, a podcast. I don't know if you know these guys, uh, you probably do. But um, the good people of power athlete, they have um, power athlete, and they have power athlete Radio is their podcast, they just had a guy on Greg Everett. Uh, and they were talking essentially about things like this, Greg Everett is a, is a pretty smart dude. Um, he was their guest. And, and this was the topic. So, you know, he he just wrote a book called tough. And he's very into this idea of like, you know, the development of toughness takes what you just mentioned. So sorry to interrupt, but I I had to identify that. And I hope and I hope people are sort of inspired by that because um, you don't have to run at the University of Oregon to be a good runner, you have to find a a place that that you go to that you can push yourself and maximize your potential. So sounds like you did. Absolutely. No, I totally agree with that. I think and I learned
1: a hard lesson. Let's let's rewind to an unrealistic an unrealistic expectation. Um, so I I I started running track as an expression. My my first running experience, the thing that solidified running as like solidifying like a goal oriented mindset and yeah. like driven practice toward a goal was in middle school. For some reason, I saw this like opportunity. Nobody was breaking the six minute mile barrier um, in PE, just the PE mile. Yeah. And. I was running like six twenty something. I'm like, maybe this is possible. I want to be the one who runs the fastest mile and runs under six this year. Yeah. And so I just worked my butt off in PE, just went for it all out. And last PE mile of the year, I can still I can still remember just like being in more pain than I've ever been in as I'm just sprinting the final like 300 meters. Just started a kick from way out to make it possible. Just like you know, time is ticking. Just ah, and I remember hearing the five. Like that was the only thing that mattered as I crossed the line, hearing the five at the front. Like none of the other. I know it was a five fifty seven, but those uh, those other two numbers did not matter at all. Right. And just like flopping into the grass, and you know, at that young point in my life, that was the worst amount of pain I'd ever really been in.
0: Sure.
1: uh, Was that that just my body feeling like it was lit on fire from the inside, but also this just deep feeling of like that was so worth it. Yeah. If I just set goals and I'm willing to work hard enough. I can accomplish them. And so I came off that and springboarded into high school. Um, and you know, was, you know, getting on the the high school track, getting on the high school track team, you know, step one, but then was like, okay, maybe I can break the high school record, which was like four flat in the 1500 and never came anywhere near that. Like 430, I think 432 was my best high school time.
0: Um, you know, so like thirty which seconds is elite right, which is like the, <laughs> that's a percentage of the one percent ever run something like that. but fair enough, yeah, I hear what you're saying, and you know, so got this like you know, kind of check to
1: my system like okay there there are limits to my physiology. there are limits to what the body I have are capable of, even with a mind that's willing to be one hundred percent driven, one hundred percent bought in, hmm. you know you know, at, at, by high school, I was already like studying my sport and training methods and, and, and diet and hydrate all this stuff. Like I was the person on the team that people are like, well, what do you think I should do, you know, on the day before the race? What do you think? It? Like questions came my way. Cause I was always sure. reading. Um, and so I, I think that was very important to realize as well, to like have this sort of like metering effect where it's like, okay, I'm not a world champion, right? right? Like I'm not, I'm not in a single sport, like running. I'm not made of the material that's going to win the Olympic gold, but Mm. that's okay. What can I do? What am I driven? What, how fast can I get? And that became sort of the very personal question I was asking myself. Right. Um, yeah, I was raised, I was raised religious. So the way I framed it at the time was like, okay, when I die and I get, you know, I'm in front of the big guy, I want to ask him just how close did I get? Right. Like to the very fastest I could have run the very best I could have run. The limits I was created with, like how close did I get to actualizing hmm. that? That became the the sort of obsessive question. So it was a very personal thing. So I was the one person on the team like training in the offseason. I was the person putting that because it was this intrinsic motivation, right? Yeah. I wasn't doing it for fame. I wasn't doing it. I was. It was like my own experiment on me. And I think that's a big takeaway with personal sports it, that's important for our lives is we do need to be running experiments in life like mm-hmm. if you're not experimenting in one variable in your life you're on autopilot you're on cruise control yeah. till you die you've already called it in right yeah yeah um, and and i think that's super important and that's I what how i think i landed where i am now in a place where i'm you know the person with 96 different fkt records um, on a on a mission to be the first to ever do 100 yeah uh, and they're in these wild you know, bizarre, hard to get to, difficult to navigate, places where people die. And I'm yes. able to navigate them and not only navigate them safely, but navigate them faster than anyone has. Right. Uh, the reason I arrived there is because I was constantly looking for that next experiment. I was intrinsically driven toward that next experiment. And, you know, sure, it's cool that I'm getting to have conversations like this and I get to inspire people, but also it's still, I, I'm very aware that I, why I am where I am and the real, know passion behind what i'm doing is this running an experiment with my life and making it a life worth living you know living out a good story and and to Mm. be of some good and 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 to provide some value to those
0: around me because of it i love that i think that's so it's inspiring just to hear that and it's inspiring to hear the approach we it reminds me a lot of of uh i think we may have shared this when we spoke last but we um we have sort of a framework through which we we begin our you know consulting whether it's, a, it's with a team or a person or um you know a staff professional development um, and it always what we always try to do is identify uh what we call a keystone habit in the air in some physiological area eat move or sleep and it sounds like that's what you sort of found um very organically you you, you took that that movement part you made that your keystone habit. And like you said, it's, I I love the scientific method there because it is, you're just constantly, uh, running sort of self checks, you know, our, our, the mantra of the the project is does your behavior match your goal? And you, you, because you have such a quantifiable specific thing to work on, you can sort of self check against your outcomes in, in a really clean way. I aimed for this, this was my process. Here's my outcome. You know, did I get what I want or, or not? Okay, let me double back and evaluate what was potentially missing from that process. And you can just sort of tinker with the habits of your life. That could be mindset. It could be um, other physiological components. Like, was my where was my nutrition? You mentioned that you were um, very good at that as well. I, I think it's I think that's an inspiring thing for people to hear. And and I'll and I'll add without maybe the expectation that they too would um, set 100 records uh potentially but just just to i just to find something and you you know we started this with a conversation of adhd to to sort of narrow the focus say this is the thing that i'm going to work on now this is the thing that you know and I, and i'll and i'll kind of cater my habits to that that too can be incredibly empowering and and not to go too far off track but man this 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 is like the real life transfer I, so many people are missing that i think i think so many people get stuck in the proverbial rat race that you know you almost forget why it is you're doing what you're doing and you start to evaluate your behaviors. Um you've used the word internal multiple times. You start to evaluate yourself and your behaviors and your outcomes against some sort of external factor. And that can be just you know it can that beats people down psychologically, I think, where if you identify, if you if you look inward, identify a habit and, and measure your behaviors up against that, um, man, that's the thing. And Yeah, go for it. I see you. Yeah. I mean,
1: this makes me think of uh, something from a a friend that I actually just reposted. Um, You know, there's this quote from Mark Twain where he's like, um, you know, a a person with a hammer will start to see everything as a nail or will behave as if everything's a nail. And he like took that and he flipped it upside down. He's like, well, if you're a person with a hammer, go looking for nails, right? Hmm. And what he's keying in on there is we all have strengths, right? Yep. I'm I'm a passionate mover. I was deeply in touch with my physical body at a much younger age and and my mind as well, like how my body and mind interacted at a much younger age than most people. I was very tuned in to, to, therefore, my athletic performance and my self-care and all those things to a much higher degree than most people bothered to tune in at a a much younger age than most people bothered to tune in. So it makes sense for me to, if that's a strength Mm -hmm. I have to right. go and hammer away with that, right? If you've got a different strength, you know, there's, here, let's, let, let me reframe this. If we look at this, how good of a student was I? I still was the kid who would forget his homework or would, you know, hardly get any of the homework done because I couldn't focus or would get the homework done and then forget to bring it to school, right? So that's still going on. I'm failing, right? So if I'm measuring my worth in this realm that I don't have strengths, then I'm going to feel like a failure. Right. And that's yep. still true in my adult life. The things I'm weakest at as a teacher are the organizational things, the time-based things, the responding to emails, the getting paperwork done. Like I still get, you know, not formally in trouble, but like get my wrist lap like, why didn't you get this done on time? Sure. Because sure. I'll just
0: forget
1: it. And if I measure how good of a teacher I am based on those things, like I'm gonna constantly be like, Oh, I should probably get out of this profession. I'm not very good. But when I measure how well I'm able to connect on a real level yeah. through physical education and teach life lessons through physical education and sport it's like no i crush at this i'm really good at this yeah. i'm just really bad at being an employee <laughs> um, <laughs> that's interesting so it's like you you need to you need to find the measuring stick yeah. that that's suited to your strengths and you need to find an environment where you can thrive if i tried to be an english teacher with all the paperwork and grading and 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 stuff that goes along with that i would not probably still be in the teaching profession because I would not have found passion in it. I would not have been able to even get that stuff done to a well enough degree that they would have kept me as a teacher. But because I chose physical education, I like to say, I teach what I I love and I live what I teach, right? Yeah, it's like, I'm going out and I'm pushing my body and I'm seeing what's possible. And then because I do it myself, I can authentically turn to my students and say, hey, if you take care of yourself and you're willing to work, you could do amazing things because I'm just some kid from some small town and here i am out doing it so you can find your own version of this too i it's so
0: it's so good it, it, you're referring essentially to self awareness and that and that really is the is the, the absolute bedrock concept of so much of what you as an educator we we in our work like that that's the whole thing if you can empower people through self awareness that's an important thing cuz i would add to that that like um I agree. I think I think to not get beaten down, I'm going to use this homework example, I guarantee there are, I, I mean, I couldn't even imagine a number, hundreds of thousands of kids, probably millions who are going through a similar situation. Well, maybe, maybe, um, maybe you're like typing, printing, submitting on times, you know, begin again, maybe that's not, maybe they're not elite at that, but they are elite at other things. And what occurs to me is that if, if we don't, as educators, actively seek out, you know, what tools does this kid have? Are they a hammer? Are they a, a screwdriver? I would even make a case for a nail, which is like an incredibly resilient connector of things. But, but, you know, if, if we don't actively seek that stuff out uh, and try to highlight and help people build their strengths, then, then, then we miss out on, on so much. It, it also, um, this might be something you're interested in. There's a guy named Todd Rose. I think you definitely would be interested in this guy. I'm going to try to send you a link to one of his TED Talks. He, wrote a, he was a former professor of mine, wrote a book called End of Average, and um, had a really difficult time with school, really difficult time for a lot of very similar reasons, ultimately found his way into it, found methods that worked for him, and made his way. He, he eventually became a professor at Harvard, um, and he actually wrote a follow-up book called Dark Horse which is sort of a lot of his own story. And how do we essentially mine the population for the, these talented people um, who exist within a system that wasn't designed for them? It, kind of an interesting idea. But anyway, to the, to the first topic of, of um, end of average, You know, this is a very real thing. And I wonder if you'd identify this from, from your time as a student, uh, reading levels. So you're in third grade, there's an average reading level for a third grader. And the textbook, Let's say the science textbook is designed for the average reading level of a third grader. Well, like just based on that comment, obviously half the people in that class are below reading level. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's because it's an average, it's a mean. So uh, half of the students are finding it far more difficult to enter into the text uh, that would essentially take them down the road of, of scientific concepts, which is somewhere where they might very well be able to excel. But they just don't have access to it because because the the other bit of the process was was not catered to them. It's a really interesting dilemma in education at large. That's why I sort of sink into it. But it sounds like obviously it played a very real role in your life. So here's here's what I would say. How did you how did or here's what I'd ask. How did you find the confidence to not beat yourself up over missed assignments and things like that, and and instead focus on your strengths?
1: I think there's a few things there. There's a few layers there. I think kind of getting a sense of self through having sports as an outlet, like being able to thrive in that, um, like gave me a little bit of a sense of stability, right? Cause anytime you sure. get something, at least one thing going well in life, then, then you can start to tinker with the other stuff. That's not going, um, as well. I had a very supportive mother who through elementary school showed up more days than she probably didn't to make sure that I had actually made it through. I think that was huge right? Yeah. If, if I had been allowed to just fall behind, if I'd had a, a parent that didn't get that involved and and make sure that, that those formative learning experiences happened to a, a good enough degree that say, like, I was able to read well enough to pass middle school and so on, yeah. um, I would have a very, very different story, right? So I, a huge shout out to my mom and her being a true, honest to goodness mom, killing it and showing up to, like, help me get through. Um, but then... I think for me, a huge, a huge book that was influential um, was I read a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller. And in it, it, at one point in the book, it gives you permission to not live according to other people's expectations. Like if someone wants you to feel a certain way about something, you are always, you always have that split second moment to decide whether you are or are not going to take that mental on your shoulders. Mm. and at that point, like I, I'd, I'd always had a deeply compassionate heart, right? I've got I've, my, you know, my earliest memory being helping a, a fellow first grader learning catch, right? Like I always took it upon me to care about others and to try to help. And because as such, like I cared what others thought of me as well. And I always carried that burden around my heart on my sleeve, if you will. Um, just very raw, very vulnerable. And vulnerability is a, a beautiful thing and a good thing. And it's a form of courage. And, and I'm very happy that it stayed a part of my life but what wasn't healthy was me constantly needing to feel like I had to meet everyone's expectations for me. Mm -hmm. And, and I had no, no sophistication to deciding between which expectations I would choose to take upon me because they fit with what I wanted for myself and the good of those around me and which expectations were just a waste of emotional and, and, and time and energy. Um, and, I remember reading that line and just literally feeling like a weight fall off my shoulders mm. of all of these people whose expectations including including some of the expectations that my own mom who I love very much who I said like yeah, she's right. was an amazing part of why I made it through elementary school but she had like expectations and ideas of me and for my future that it's like no I don't think that's exactly the path I'm meant to live right and being able to go it's okay if she feels disappointed that I go a different direction it's okay to make decisions that that other people can't see, like, can't see your vision for it yet. And Hmm. so they disagree with it. Um, And so that was huge for me. And then the other thing the book does is it frames life in, in reference to story. And, you know, we, we, it lays out how we look for these certain things. There's certain things that make a movie we go watch, like hook us in where we're just 100% committed to the storyline and have no knowledge of our life otherwise, like just get lost in the story. And same with good books. Like there's certain things that happen in those stories, you know, a hero coming up against nearly insurmountable odds, uh, a grand adventure that you have no clue what's going to happen in the end. Um, These things just hook us in. And it's like, okay, if that's what inspires us in a story we read or watch, why aren't we living that? Why are we writing a boring Hmm. story about a guy who wants... A Ford Taurus and then saves up some money and goes and buys the Ford Taurus. Like, ooh, what interest? Like, you would walk out of that movie and want your money back, right? Yeah. It's like, why are we living that story if it has no true interest, no true value to ourselves or to others around us? That's and so good. Having that impactful, like, frame of thought to think about my life as the story I'm writing was huge in my younger years as well. And so I started making these decisions, like, okay, I've got these strengths. I've got this strength of being willing to work really, really hard. I kind of viewed myself as an underdog, even already at that age. Like, okay, if I want to accomplish anything, I just have to work way harder than everyone else. And if I do that, I'll just barely be ahead of the people who are more talented than me. Um, mm-hmm. cause I had this guy, uh, that kind of was a perfect example of that through high school where he would do nothing. He would eat junk food, drink soda pop, sit around all off season. And then I would be ahead of him at the start of the season and he would just rapidly close ground on me throughout the season. And like, he would almost take my spot for like the trip to go compete at districts or the trip to go compete at state. Like he would be right there. And it was like, man, if I hadn't trained all off season long, this guy'd be crushing me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And so like I had this mindset, like, okay, that's what I have to do in life. Like this is a life lesson, right? Um. (laughs) And I just got to be willing to put in more work. And then those people who don't put in the work won't catch me. Um, right. hmm. And it, as far as like awareness to strengths, um, I don't know. My, I saw a strength of mine as like a willingness to suffer in those moments where others weren't. So like hmm. I one, one simple example is I started kicking from 300 meters out in the 1500, even though everyone else in my district was only kicking the last 100 or 150. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like I would go all out as if it was the final, final stretch from 300 meters out. And because of that, people weren't willing to go with me. Like, that's a lot of hurt. Like, yeah. that's a, that's a long yes. ways to run as fast as you can. And almost always, like I would tie up and, you know, my legs would be like lagging before I got to the finish line, Yeah. but I'd already put such a big gap on mm-hmm. the people who weren't willing to kick that I would cross the line before them as they were closing in on me down that final stretch. It was just too, they let me go too far out before they came after me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so, like embracing that willingness to suffer, like, okay, this is this is what I have to do. Um, and with school, it was like, okay, I'm a good test taker. That was that was that was my superpower there. It was like, okay, like I can either stress out and burn myself out and beat myself up about my constant messing up of homework and homework schedules and when what's due. Um, and I tried organizational structures and all that, and like sometimes they'd work a little bit, and then somehow it all get messed up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could either continue beating myself up about that or I just, what I did is I said, okay, I can, I can usually understand concepts as the teacher is teaching them. Um, you know, Almost always, like if I really tune in 100% in class time and I take good notes, I can capture the concept in the class time. And if I don't, I can ask enough questions either during class or in an after class time with that teacher one-on-one to capture the concept. And if mm-hmm. I'm with them, like I'm motivated because it's like there's that like process, that exchange, that like mastering the concept, but going and doing redundant work at home, like I couldn't bring my brain in to do it. So it's like, okay, I'm going to be 100% invested during class time, and I'll try to get homework done. It's not like I'm just going to totally give up. I'll try to get some homework done. Right, I'll, right. I'll put it in. I'm not just going to give up. Um, but what I'm going to rely on is that I've mastered the concept so well in the class time and that one-on-one time with the teacher that I'm going to ace the test. And so my grades are gonna plummet during homework time and then pop back up any time a test. And most teachers weight their tests more heavily than their homework. And you know, I was aware of this. And so it's like, okay, this plan will work out. Hmm. Um,
0: and sure enough, it's, it did. Yeah, it's so interesting because I don't know that that necess- aligns directly with your starting to kick early. But, but somehow, it really, really does, in the sense that, in both cases, you identify your advantage. You identify your advantage and play to it, whether it's your ability to sort of endure for three times as long as as the other people, or the or the ability to sort of soak it in in ways that uh, the information in the class, ways that felt more authentic to you and then perform well on the test. I'm going to say this. I've never said this on on the podcast before. But as you speak, like I'm, I'm starting to wonder, like if I had undiagnosed ADHD, I really, and I, and I mean it, man. Like I, I, I know this. Now there are other sort of uh, confounding variables in in my life early on, uh, but you know, I, I know that, uh, I know that I wasn't that good at homework. I just wasn't. I know that you know sometimes I would turn in, sometimes I didn't. And like you said, on those, I remember these moments from childhood where I'd like. I would do it I, I wouldn't watch tv i wouldn't mess around or, or or draw which was kind of my thing back then I, you know and i would do my homework and uh and then i'd forget to bring it in i'd forget to put it in my backpack or so you know like like you but i but i but my grades were always pretty darn solid because of of tests because you know um and, so, and now i'm thinking about that and then of course obviously because we're having this conversation now and the life that or the Track that my life has taken is, is I I felt very empowered by by sport. I I feel you know I I've I've always sort of been of two minds. I've had um, sort of the quieter mind that liked to read and draw and paint and things like that. Ultimately, I turned that into more success in school. But uh, and then I had this other part of me that like to just be in the world and run and be embodied and 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 roll. It was rollerblading for a long time and it was trying to be good at baseball and then footballs where it really kicked off. But but that's where where the greatest amount of growth happened in my life, without question. Um, all right, so I, so I want to fast forward to this. There's something you mentioned the kick in 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 more traditional track and field or cross country events. I'm I'm curious in, in some of these wild outdoor red rock type events. What is that like at the back end when you know there's a a, a potential record um, at stake here? You know, what does that feel like? And and I guess I'm really interested in what's going through your head. What kind of language are you using in your own mind? Do you listen to music? Like literally when you're at the doorstep of a record, what does that final stretch look like? How do you finish strong there?
1: Well, I guess I'll tie this really quick in because in order to explain this, I think I have to tie it back in with how I, I mentioned having grand experiments, grand adventures that activate your curiosity, that activate that instinct for in exploration that we have. Yeah. Like, that's really important. If you're just driving yourself on anger and things from your past and only fear, fear is a great motivator. Like, right over my shoulder, I have I have a couple of big fears. Uh, one of my fears, in earliest memory of wanting something different than what I saw exemplified and embodied in my own father, was him letting himself become overweight and me going, I always want to be in good enough shape, I can do the things I want to do. Yeah. And you know that's no insult to him. He no. he 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 supported our family. He was an awesome man. He was a great father. Um but like I watched as he workaholiced himself into bad physical condition to a degree yeah. that he couldn't do much stuff with us kids anymore. And I'm like I never want to do that. And he was also always so stressed out that he would get irritated by the littlest things. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. I saw those two things I'm like, I never want to be so stressed out. I can't truly act out the words I love you to the people I say I love you to. Mm. And I I never want to lose my own physical fitness. I want to be on top of that. And I remember that, you know, it wasn't that well formed as a young person. You know, I was like what, maybe 8, 10 years old when this thought happens. It was just this knowledge of I don't want that. Like mm. that that sort of action and that sort of like letting myself go. I don't want that.
0: It's really good. Uh,
1: And so that's right over my shoulder all the time. It's like at any point, it's easy to make the decisions of laziness to flip on the Netflix. Right. But anytime those like I'm feeling I'm feeling tired and I'm not, yeah, I know there's work to be done. It's like, okay, let's not go. Let's not go that direction. Um, Or anytime I notice I've put too much on my plate and I'm getting stressed out and I'm starting to like lash out because of it. It's like, oh, time to clear the plate time to I've, I've put too much on my shoulders to properly do the littlest thing right which is treat mm. people around me properly i shouldn't be carrying these bigger responsibilities there you go um, and so that's that's a powerful part of how i like make my decisions um also right over my shoulder is the one i mentioned of you know not wanting to wake up 30 years later and wonder what the hell i did with my life right um You know, that was, that was my deepest visceral fear. If you'd asked me when I graduated university, what's your greatest fear without missing a beat? I would have been like waking up 30 years from now and wondering what I did with my life. Hmm. Boom. It's just right there. I was super scared of it. Like this is, I'm going to start my career. And you see these people who have just like gone on autopilot for 30 years and they don't even know what they want to do with their
0: retirement. Yeah. Um, I'm like, that scared me. That scared me. That's so Um, good. Yeah. How often do you hear like, uh, yeah, I'll go like, let you go right back. But like, I hear people all the time saying, well, there's such a wonderful retirement plan in career X, Y, or Z. But man, that's a long freaking way away. If you spend, like you say, the next 30 years planning for retirement, that you don't even really know what you want that to look like. It just sounds like the right idea that, yeah, you can find yourself in a serious hole there. So you were aware of that very early, though, it sounds like.
1: Uh, absolutely. It was, it, so those fears are right over my shoulder, but yeah. you can't just be driven by fear because you have to have a direction. Like fear is a powerful motivator, but you have yep. to have something in front of you. And those are your no doubt. your dreams, your goals, your aspiration, the best good you can see yourself doing in the world, something you can create, like some vision you have for your life. That's what's out mm. in front of you. Um, and so when I'm doing these things, like there's this sense, right, that I'm meeting up with this higher sense of empowerment. I'm doing something with my life in an avenue I thrive in, um, with technical skills that I've accumulated, um, that's like this bigger overarching, like, wow, I'm, I'm actually doing something kind of rad with my life. Like I could still be, you know, before my car accident, I was doing triathlons and stuff like that. And I was doing pretty well, um, because it's a mixed sport thing. And once you start adding in more disciplines, I find I start doing better because I'm, I have the work ethic to work really hard at all the different sports. And to yeah. like pay attention to all the minute details of a transition time to like shave a few seconds off here and there. Right, right. And because of that, someone can show up who's a faster runner or a faster biker or a faster swimmer. But because I'm able to put all the pieces together just that little bit better, yep. like I was able to beat that person.
0: Right, um, speaking of that person, how do you gloss over something like, uh, you know, because of my car accident? Oh. Uh, yes, we got it. We need more color there, please. Sure. So. In
1: 2015, I had a rollover car accident. I was ejected from the vehicle. So mathematically, I should have died. Um, And I broke my shoulder in two places, broke nine ribs, collapsed a lung, and completely shredded my ACL and LCL in my right knee. Um, So that was in 2015. Um, And basically, I was having like the best training year. In, In February of 2015, I logged 100 hours of training time between running, biking, and swimming. Um, so just, it was on this phenomenal training, training stint. I was doing 140 plus mile bike rides and getting off and just feeling like, huh, I wonder what else I want to do with my day. Just feeling invincible, really. You know, I was 25 Mm. years old. I was training like that. I was having those sorts of outcomes, just logging good workout after good workout. Um, I'm like, this is the year I'm going to qualify for Kona. Like I'm going to go to the, you know, the, the big, the big gun show in Kona and do the Ironman world championships. Cause I would qualified for. Ironman 70.3 world championships, uh, but I'd never been able to truly race. There's a difference between finishing and racing. In sure, my sure. Finishing, you just like do whatever it takes to gut it out to the finish line. And that's awesome. Like that's yeah. tenacity and that's all that. Racing is when you're able to stay in that like constant push, fully metered out, like pacing effort all mm-hmm. the way to the finish line. And like, you right. still have the energy to say, like throw down a kick in the final mile. Like that's racing. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a little, there's a difference there. And like, it seemed like my fitness was breaking through to where it's like, oh, this is the year. Like, I'm so strong. I'm so much stronger than the last two years. Um, and then on May 6th, out a car window, I Mm -hmm. went, um, one doctor was like, yeah, if you were in typical, you know, American fitness, you might've suffocated on the side of the road. Um, I brought up my passion for movement to another doctor and like (laughs) coldly, he's just like, oh, you're probably gonna have to let that part of your life go. Uh, just like walks out of the room. Um, and I remember my spirit sinking in that moment, right? This thing that was such a big part of my youth, such a big part of how I expressed myself in the world still. Mm-hmm. Um, just, and all my friends, right? All my friends were people who I was friends with because we did active things together. We biked right, together, right. We together, we climb, you know, whatever. Um, so all of this like suddenly being like, oh, that's just going to end. And I'd never known a version of myself that wasn't physically active. And I remember my spirit sinking, you know this is all happening in the time frame of moments, like slow motion, right? My spirit's just plummeting down and then hitting this spot where it's just like, no, you don't know me. Hmm. You just watch. like knowing that I was going to be able to reach into that well yeah. of I'm willing to suffer more and try harder than anyone you've ever like had come through your office before. Yeah, so I that is not the outcome that's gonna happen for me. And I was, you know again, being able to like keep those reasonable expectations i was able to embrace like i might not ever qualify for another world championship again like that might not ever be in the stars again you know i'm, I'm right. rolling around in a wheelchair right now um but i will do whatever it takes to get back to some version of what i love pushing my body outside right and, and here so, you are <laughs> here i am i mean it's it like started off like i was just able to hike up and down hills because in order to run efficiently biomechanically you have to have a moment where your knee is able to like straighten all the way so Mm -hmm. you can use that elastic energy from your your uh, achilles tendon and obviously i my knee had terrible range of motion for like two years so i couldn't really run anymore and that was really frustrating but i'm like okay i'm aware enough to know when you hike up and down steep hills you don't need the same range of motion you usually Mm -hmm. keep your knees a little bit bent
0: yeah Um, yeah
1: and so I was like, well, I'm a hiker now. I'm a hill hiker. So started doing local hills, hills led to mountains, mountains led to bigger mountains, pretty soon I'm climbing mountains that have technical summits. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to pick up rock climbing skills now. So I started climbing and picking up rope skills and then ran into mountains with glacier travel. So learned how to travel through crevassed glaciers safely. And so I'm like accumulating these skills as I'm still broken. Hmm. Um, and as I reach this sort of it usually takes about two years for your body to like really recover from like a trauma and surgery like i obviously had to have my knee surgery put back together um and by about the time it got back to where i still can't run like i used to but i can at least like hold a steady run for a long amount of time um as it got back to where i could run long distances without my knee swelling like a grapefruit I now had this massive skill set and this whole new world open to me. Right, right. Because I just kept finding that next thing. Like, what, what interests me? What's possible in that direction? I like to think of it like a, a blurry target. Right. A lot of us think we need to see the bullseye in order to like move towards something. It's like no, no, no. Like if you just have an idea of what you want more of in your life, you just mm-hmm. move toward anything that's in that category. Go try a mm. thing that's in that category. Mm. Yeah. You know, so I started hiking hills. And then hills was like, okay, well, I'll try a mountain. And then the mountain is like, well, what's a bigger mountain? Um, And then that led to like, oh, well, now I can learn this whole new rock climbing skill. This is pretty rad.
0: And so because
1: I kept running.
0: Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go, go, go. I like this. Because
1: I kept running those experiments and building those skills and adventuring in that way. I arrived at a place where I was able to marry that with my love for running and going long distances. And I actually was doing FKTs fastest known times before I even knew what they were. I was just out like pushing myself. Like I'm going to try to beg these three peaks in a day. Oh, I'm yeah. going to circumnavigate crater lake while tagging the high points, the, the seven high points over 8,000 feet on the rim as I circumnavigate it. And that's actually a route called the crater lake rim high route on the fastest known time website. They accepted mm-hmm. it as a formal route on there. Um, and it was just like stuff I was doing out of my own
0: passion before I even knew, like there's a whole community and a whole like record yeah, yeah
1: for this yeah,
0: stuff. That's amazing. I think and, and there's so much uh, it, as you were saying that, it, it it feels a lot like I mentioned I sort of found my way into academic success down the line. It feels almost like a, a, a metaphor for that, right? like if if one skill, you, know, you can't run, you know in, in a traditional way, uh you can work on these sort of complementary skills that could take you to a whole different place. Uh, and then it, as your running sort of picks up, maybe is never truly elite again. But uh, I, or I don't know, maybe it is, it's certainly faster than mine, but but now you have this whole new, probably more dynamic than it otherwise would have been skill set to apply wherever you choose. All right. What was your favorite? What's your, and this might be hard for you, but, but what's one of your favorite experiences within the, did you say currently 96, fastest known times? Currently yes, 96. So from, among, yeah. from among the current 96, what, what was your favorite?
1: Oh, uh, that's so tough. Um. I mean, a huge one that was a massive breakthrough for me was the Rainier infinity loop. If you imagine a figure eight or a or an infinity loop drawn and you put the yeah. summit of the mountain right at the middle of that eight, the middle of that infinity loop, um, basically you're going to end up climbing over the mountain, running around the mountain one way, climbing over the mountain again, and then running around the mountain the other way. And on Mount Rainier, the circumnavigation trail, the Wonderland Trail is 93 miles long by itself. Um, And when you add in going over the mountain twice, you're doing about 135 miles and about 44,000 feet of elevation gain and loss. Um, So just this massive effort. Um, It was longer than anything, even just pure distance wise, take the elevation gain out, which is a crazy number two. Um, Just distance wise, I'd only raced a hundred miler at that point. So like those 37 miles, 35 miles beyond that were an experiment, right? Like I'd never And and by
0: the way, what a thing to say, I had only raced a hundred miler before that. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. Fair, fair. I, it's the water I swim in. Um, hey, totally.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so like it was this big
1: experiment. Plus it was twice over a crevassed, you know, 14,000 foot peak. Um, hmm. So you're going up into thin air, like thin enough yeah. that you can have uh, mountain sickness. Um you're, you're traveling in, you know, there were crevasses I traversed above that you could drop a bus into and not know it was inside. Um, so you're like in this dangerous terrain and you're going to go over it once while you're fresh, right? But then you're going to go over it a second time when you're already over 50 miles into the effort and already sleep deprived. And you've got to be able to go up there and trust your technical skills a second time through in that state and have the awareness to know whether you're performing those skills well enough to, to still be safe, to be able to check in the wherewithal to check in with yourself and go, okay, am I wobbling on my feet here? Am I like, you know, only half performing my skills where I'm in danger right now? Or am
0: I still executing cleanly? Um, so it's it ter- I'm, I'm getting like nervous just thinking, imagining this right now. I'm I mean, like, just period. I, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm not afraid of heights, but imagining you crossing that thing Alone is is semi terrifying. This this cavern that a bus could fall down. But then having to do that in a state of sleep deprivation and and exhaustion is, I mean, it's otherworldly, man. And so, I mean, that one that one
1: really captures what I what I love because it was a mixture of like you can pay to go to races where you're gonna you know you can pay for a two hundred mile race now and there's gonna be eight stations and you're still gonna have to face sleep deprivation decisions because two hundred miles is short enough you you in order to do well you have to sort of make those decisions like oh, i'm only going to sleep 90 minutes um cuz you can get by it's short enough yeah. distance you can get by making those decisions so it's like this kind of brutal distance cuz it's far enough that especially when you add in the trips over the mountain that are you know steeper and slower um yeah. it's long enough you're going to face two nights of de- sleep deprivation um which is the second night's the brutal and all of us have kind of remembered a time we pulled one all nighter and yeah. we're like, oh, you know, it was tough, but I made it through. Sure. Um, but then when you go into that second night, it all comes down on you. And so it's like knowing that that's going to happen um, <laughs> is is something else while you're out there. It's terrifying. Um, so that one stands out in my mind. And I remember this like borderline spiritual moment almost where I'd made it over the mountain the second time, right? So it's like the danger, the the big danger is done. Like I'm not gonna fall into a crevasse and die anymore. Uh, that that's off the table as a possibility. That's good. Um, but I remember taking off to do the second half circumnavigation. The way the the uh, halves work is one half is like 30 miles because of how the routes and the everything intersects on the mountain, mm-hmm. and the other half is like 67 miles. Uh, so it's like you've got a long half, and I chose to do that long half second so I could get right. over the mountain twice faster.
0: Makes sense. And,
1: And I remember taking off for this 67 mile run and there's not much buttery, smooth, non-technical trail on the Wonderland. Most of it is steep, rocky terrain. And I happened to get onto this like mildly downhill buttery section. I'm like, cool. I'm just going to open it up for a little while. And like, I'm obviously hurting and I'm sleep uh, sleep deprived at that point. And I'm like, okay, this hurts. It's uncomfortable. Let's see how fast I'm moving. And I look down at my watch. And I'm only doing like 14 minute miles. Mm. I'm like, Oh no, if this is all the faster I'm going to move. Cause it's only going to get worse from here. Right. Right. If this is the, if this is my top speed for this whole 67 miles, like my, my brain started punching out the math. It's like, I don't get to sleep tonight in order to be sure I break this record. I need to, after, I think I did 90 minutes the first night before going over the mountain the second time. Um, I don't get to sleep tonight. Like if I want to be certain, I, I beat these guys records and this whole crazy undertaking isn't for naught. not that it wouldn't still be an amazing experience if I didn't record, but when you're out there, you're like, no, I'm, I'm going for it. Like I'm going for it. It's not possible. Um, It's like, I just need to not sleep. I need to not sleep this second night. And like at that point I'd never, you know, tried two nights in a row of no sleep or very little sleep. So it's like, that was a big experiment too. And I remember like getting mild hallucinations, and like you know sure. that feeling when you shouldn't be driving anymore, mm-hmm. and you're kind of like nodding off at the wheel. I was literally doing that, but while walking on my own two feet, um, where I would start to fall forward and like catch myself and have yep. to take a big yeah. step down. Um, and called, just like it's called micro
0: sleeps. Have you heard, have you heard that term? I have, yeah. Yeah, like you're at some point your brain's just like yeah, like. Uh, if you give it the smallest window, it's gonna to try to grab on and rest. It's pretty wild. Yeah,
1: it was gnarly. And like you, the the hallucinations, really, it's not it's not as wild as some people might imagine it. It's just like your brain can't shape recognize anymore, right? right? So right, totally. Instead of seeing instead of seeing the outline of a tree, it sees the outline between two branches and sees an animal or a face. Exactly right. And it it yeah. starts pulling the wrong stuff, and then you start to lose. You start to lose the line between when you're imagining, dreaming, contemplating in your head and what you're seeing out in the real world. Yeah. So like almost like dreams are starting to leak through. And so you get that kind of combined thing where you're like, bah. And so I'd like see a face and like get startled and get like this adrenaline response, which was nice for a few minutes while like yeah. I wasn't sleepy anymore. But then when the crash from that would happen, it was always like, oh, no, like I'm so sleepy now. Um. <laughs> but as i'm pushing into that right i'm i'm out there i'm in the fray it's uh, my body suffering my my mind is sleep like there's just all these layers of suffering stacked on top of each other as i'm out there in that i got this beautiful moment that moved me to tears while i was out there that this is what tenacity looks like this mm. this is what it feels like this is tenacity embodied like mm. we we have these words that we use to describe Things we value, things we see as good in the world, and you know it's like we get them tested in little ways in the real world sometimes. Um, but to be out there experiencing as much discomfort as I'd ever felt, and to to through that continue pushing toward my goal, mm. and to not yield in the face of seeming overwhelming discomfort, to be able to look down and see my legs moving and go not done yet. It's like this this is the embodiment of that, and to like to feel that, you know, when you, when you always wonder, it's like, Oh, when, when the cards are down, when stuff's going sideways, will I, will I truly act the way I say I value or will I not? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. It was this beautiful moment of like, no, I kind of know who I am.
0: I love that, man. That's inspiring. I'm inspired by that. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, your threshold is so high, but I hope everyone can experience something like that. And I, and I really do believe, I think back on my own career as an athlete, I, I, I feel like the only way to feel that, which you just talked about, is through something physical, right? Like we've all been through trying times in our lives and other forms for sure. And, and, and that quality might be a transferable one, but to identify that fully embodied version of, as you name it, tenacity, like that's wild.
1: Well, no, I, I guess I'll say there, there are other situations where we can, we can feel ourselves doing that, So for example, my car accident, I went from being able to bike. I literally, the Sunday before it happened, happened on a Tuesday, the Sunday before it happened, biked 140 miles, got off and went for a run. And during the run, it just felt, it felt like I hadn't done anything yet that day. Right. Uh, Like just unreal level of fitness. Yeah. And then to go from that in the snap of a fingers to not being able to get my own drink of water, Hmm. um, like that was world rocking. And in in the over the course of that, also my my uh, significant other of four years uh, left me. So here I am broken away from everything I've ever found value in. Not everything. Right. I'm still a teacher. I have other things in my life, sure. but like some of the biggest key some of the big ones, right, of, of, of the value I find in life and and my expressions and really my coping mechanisms, too. Right. Like, I, if I got angry, I would go for what I used to refer to as rage runs, like just take off running at way faster pace than sustainable. By the time I couldn't hold the pace anymore, I usually wasn't angry anymore. Right. So yeah. it was like a coping mechanism, too. And suddenly I don't have access to those. Um, so here I am frustrated, depressed, locked away from how I would normally deal with frustration and depressed, left by my significant other. And I'm dealing with all these things. Right. And I managed to come through that and be a, a positive, you know, person who still believes in the good of other human beings, Mm. who still believes things are possible, who's still willing to like, talk the way I talk about life and be excited about things I'm excited about. Right. And so I definitely that is a moment that is a series of moments that is a chapter of life. I'm very, I'm able to look back and say, I'm proud of myself of the, the man I was of who I was, how I shouldered that experience. And a lot of that was built on the practice, the foundations of sport. Mm-hmm. right? the 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 habits, the willingness to embrace suffering and to mm-hmm. to embrace discomfort as the path forward. Mm-hmm. you know that it's like, okay, I already hurt from this car accident. My whole body hurts. My, it hurts to breathe cause my ribs are broken. hurts to lift my arm cause my shoulder's broken. hurts to walk cause my knees ripped up. Um, Like it hurts just to be alive right now. Hmm. But now I'm going to go embrace more pain and more swelling and more hurt to do the exercises necessary to move right. forward, right that was possible for me because of my background in athletics where it's like, no, that's the normal process. Like you do very, very uncomfortable things now to be a better athlete tomorrow.
0: No doubt. It's it's like the epitome of delay of gratification. It's, um, yeah, you have to subject yourself to that. Yeah. But then
1: in order to have an experience where I had to access that to the same level as a, as a, in regular life, Mm -hmm. literally had to have a life catastrophe, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you can, you can have these moments that test you in the real world. Sure. But it's not, it's not something you can run an experiment on.
0: Uh, right. Totally. Cause, right. Cause totally horrific,
1: right. terrible things have to happen in your life that can be right. traumatic, can go sideways. Um, totally. So that to me, that to me is one of the huge beauties I see in having these athletic pursuits, these physical challenges as a part of our life is you can go out. And remind yourself, or teach yourself, who you are, and just how deep you can go, without it being a "my grandma died" or right, a right. My, "my significant other left me."
0: Right? Um, you know, well, and that's and that's like you, you're practicing. You know, that's why it's it's so important when why we love being in the space so much is you're practicing not just for the game on Friday night. You're practicing for life if we're doing it well. You know, if if the um, you know if the situation lends itself to that. Um, all right. So uh, I, I'm about to speaking of I'm about to run to football practice and make sure that I include these. But I feel like there's so much more to learn. So uh, well, here's what I would say. Thank you for your time. Your story is inspiring. And also, let's please just consider this like an open invitation to talk shop. You know, we, we um, I, I'm still really intrigued. There's so much that you've done. There's so many stories uh, that you have. I want to hear about them and I also we we didn't even really get into education so I want to hear how you transfer all these really cool uh, character development staples and appreciation for movement how you transfer that into the mind of a young person so uh, what if we do this what if we consider this sort of part one uh, you go break a record and and the red rocks there and then uh, and then we can find a time to get back together and talk shop again in the future
1: I love that idea. I would love to have continued conversations with you, Jim. This has been awesome.
0: (laughs) I I agree. I feel the same way. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them's up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards, they do wedding cards. They help you, they help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you this sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high-quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E, print, P-R-I-N-T.com. And on Instagram, same thing, at Mighty Print, M-I-T-E, print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project
1: sent you.